Join Anthony Esselin, John Warwick Montgomery, Beverly Yonke, Mark Haltoff, Ryan Anderson, Todd Wilkin, and yours truly for the Fall 2018 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, November 9th and Saturday, November 10th in Dallas, Texas. To learn more, register at issuesetc.org. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, August 30th, 2018. Hard to believe, but next week begins the brand new heresy hurricane season. And why do I feel like it's going to include actual hurricanes this year, thanks to the... uh, the weather warriors. I'm not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet, but man, predicting that future ain't too hard to do. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. And we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolates, and you know those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex is those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine that's put forward for consumption by the average evangelical, far from biblical, far from what God's Word says, it's like not even close. So many people are being made merchandise of, having their ears scratched and tickled, and they prefer it this way. They do not want to hear the truth. The truth would literally drive them out of a church screaming bloody murder. Yeah, and (laughs) coming to think about that, I'm already looking ahead to like next week. (laughs) I shouldn't even be doing that. But uh, I'm looking ahead to next week and looking at my program notes. And uh, remember when Jen Hatmaker was like the bee's knees in all the women's Bible studies and stuff and evangelicalism? Wasn't all that long ago, by the way. Uh, it turns out she uh, she attends and preaches at um, Austin New Church. Uh, that's where Jason Morris is. And uh, I'll be reviewing a Jen Hatmaker sermon next week. And, um, yeah, and uh, she's, um, you thought she was sound, that she was really an, an insightful woman of God kind of thing. You, yeah, that the sermon review from next week will <clears throat> knock that out of you. Anyway, let's talk about what we're going to do on this episode of Fighting for the Faith as we are winding down the month of August and uh, getting ready to launch into a heresy hurricane season you know, 2018, 2019. The, by the way, the heresy hurricane season spans from the uh, from Labor Day to Memorial Day. 
here in the United States. And there's a there's a particular reason for that, and that has to do with the fact that heretics usually have a lot of money. <laughs> Heresy hunters, not so much. Anyway, uh, so uh, heretics having a lot of money, they they're really really good at taking really extended family vacations and really super expensive parts of the world and resorts and things like that. And they're gone for like weeks and months at a time, which means the the really juicy uh, heresy uh, that takes a little bit of thought and some, you know, elbow grease, they, they hang on to that. They they hang on to that scintillating, best ear-scratching stuff ever until after uh, the fall launch, after Labor Day here in the United States, which is coming up this weekend. And uh, and so you know they'll ease into it with the fall launch and uh, and by I would say middle of October it should be up and <laughs> you know, like full head of steam going on there. So yeah, we're looking forward to that uh, just because uh, here at Fighting for the Faith in the summer times I, I I often get a little original if you would in in how I put my programs together due to uh, the. <clears throat> the uh, the 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 fire hose of heresy being cut down to you know maybe like a garden hose so you have to you have to kind of piecemeal this stuff out and so we work on other stuff during the summer months but that's quickly coming to a close so let's talk about what we're going to do on this episode of fighting for the faith we're going to head down to uh, glory city church brisbane australia as we listen to itinerant american self-proclaimed prophet David Wagner as he gives a prophetic word of the Lord. And you almost want to grab a prophecy bingo card for this thing. Uh, And in one prophecy, I think you could probably fill up two cards. And we're not even going to listen to the whole thing. And uh, so we'll listen to that just to kind of note how within the charismatic movement, for all their talk of, oh, we don't believe... That prophets are adding to God's word. No, no, no. We're just, you know, you'll note that uh, God's word, the Bible, yeah, doesn't get properly preached or taught in any kind of meaningful, substantive way in these charismatic churches. And everybody's hanging on to and expecting to hear that super-de-duper freshy stuff. And boy, I, you know, know, the, the weird thing about it is, is that these so-called prophets and apostles, they are the masters of saying nothing. Like, nothing at all. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, vapid is the word that we've used in the past. Have to pull that back out. Yeah, yeah these are vapid prophecies. Uh, and then, by the way, uh, we're, we're going to head to, uh, what is the name of this church? Um that uh, John Gray is now pastoring Relentless Church. That's the name of it. Uh, John Gray of uh, you know of Lakewood fame. He's uh, taken uh, the job as uh, chief vision casting leader of Relentless Church, and got to tell you, he's uh, he's had some coaching. The reason I say that is because usually uh, when a vision ca- new vision casting leader is brought into a, a a mega church. Uh, first thing you got to do is kind of like rock the boat and you know shake anybody out whose loyalties are to the old guy. And and so John Gray, I mean, he's basically come in and like 
put a line in the sand, and he's casting vision. We're going to hear him casting vision. And some of the things he's saying, I mean, he ain't polite, and everything he said is designed to basically uh, upset the apple carts of those who miss the previous vision-casting leader, and he's going to cast new vision for uh, the folks there at uh, Relentless Church, and (laughs) relentlessly so. And then to round out uh, our number one, we're going to be listening to Randy Felchow, and by the way, he's a disciple of uh, John Kilpatrick. So uh, you know, Feldshaw is uh, in you know kind of in the same inner circle that Michael Brown would have been in, and things like that. And um, the name of the message we'll be sampling is titled "Making Room for Miracles." And aside from an abysmal twisting of scripture, um, you know, you'll note that uh, we've got direct revelation from God in this thing. And uh, and the things he's saying make no logical sense at all. It's like mind-bendingly bizarre is the best way I can put it. And then for hour number two, we're going to head down to Australia as we listen to Dan Hagen. Dan Hagen is the uh, pastor of Ben Fitzgerald of uh, of Bethel fame. Yeah, of, of awakening fame. Uh, ben Fitzgerald, who uh, likes to try to hide his... Uh, his Bethel connections when it does, doesn't help him, but pull them out when he thinks that they're helpful to him. Uh, Ben Fitzgerald, who's, I think it's his mother and, you know, is uh, the Christ alignment lady. What a mess that is. We're probably going to end up doing another update on Christ alignment in the weeks ahead, but uh, we're going to be listening to, uh, you know, uh, the supernatural series, uh, installment number two in the series. And we're going to pay close attention to, the NAR, Narismatic and Charismatic Doctrine of Christian Holiness, or you can talk about sanctification. It ain't at all what the Bible talks about as it relates to holiness or sanctification, and boy, is this thing a mess. And we'll lay a little bit of foundation with this. We'll, uh, next week, we'll, uh, we'll review another one of uh, Hagen's sermons to kind of build a little bit more on that foundation and uh, and use that to really start to tease out in people's minds, uh, those of you who uh, are avid listeners to Fighting for the Faith, tease out in your minds the difference between biblical the biblical doctrine of sanctification and the fruit of the Holy Spirit as opposed to this doctrine of holiness that uh, the NAR is uh, putting out there for uh, people to be indoctrinated into, which is not at all biblical. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. we got a lot of ground we need to cover, so let's get to it. Here we go.
That's uh, Robert Tilton and Hubaba Kanda. We're heading over to Glory City Church in Brisbane, Australia. Itinerant uh, self-proclaimed prophet David Wagner has taken the stage, and he's about to channel New Age style, if you would, the Holy Spirit, and and start to give us fresh revelation. And that, uh, you know, why open up a Bible passage and preach that when we can get fresh revelation from the Holy Spirit? <clears throat> Here's David Wagner. In this place that would release revelation, knowledge, and wisdom. Lord, I declare that tonight is not a night just to be touched, but a night to be transformed. Lord, a night not just to hear a word, but to become a word. Lord, to let the word take root on the inside of us and go forth and produce the harvest that you intended it to do. And I hear the Spirit of the Lord saying, Welcome to the breakthrough in Brisbane. And the Holy Spirit saying that, huh? Welcome to the Breakthrough in Brisbane. You, you sure you got the right number? <clears throat> yeah, Breakthrough, by the way, one of our major uh, prophecy bingo words. <clears throat> From about to move you into a season where I'm... Re- season, another prophecy bingo word. Facing the breaker wave and the breaker... Breaker, another prophecy bingo word. And you're thinking, what's with the prophecy bingo? Yeah, you go over to the website, fightingforthefaith.com, type in bingo in the search engine that we have on our website, and you'll see the prof, uh, the Fighting for the Faith prophecy bingo card generator. And, you know, you, what we've noticed over the years uh, here at Fighting for the Faith is we've covered so-called prophets and prophetesses. They have a penchant, if you would, for, um, well... Word salad, if you would, but they use oftentimes the same ingredients, recycled ingredients. It's predictably the same word. You know, I feel an anointing coming upon the breaker. Uh, Those of you seers out there, there's going to be a breakthrough and an acceleration in the season ahead. You know, (laughs) this is how they talk. And so the fact that these words show up in our prophecy bingo card should definitively help prove to anybody writing the fence, that these people are not hearing from God the Holy Spirit. They are the master manipulators of language to spew words that have no actual sentence structural meaning. Uh, it's uh, it's like that sentence that I use over and again here, uh, the, the blue sleeps faster than Tuesday. And, you know, you're sitting there going, okay, what's with that sentence? Right. You go, well, see, it's got, a, it's got a subject. It's got a verb. You know, blue sleeps faster than Tuesday. It's got a direct object. I mean, it's how it's set up is perfect as far as a, a sentence is concerned, but it means absolutely nothing. And so does this so-called prophecy of David Wagner's. It means absolutely nothing. Anointing to actually change the spiritual landscape of Queensland, of Brisbane, of Australia. How about shifting an atmosphere? Can you shift an atmosphere for me, David? For there is a sound that's about to be heard around the world. It is not the sound of just a voice, but it is the sound of many voices as one. For I'm getting ready to release a glory stream and a movement of unity. Throughout- a glory stream will be released. No way! Man, I've been waiting for one of those, you know. This city. And as soon as I landed today, I heard the Lord say, do you hear it? And as I began to just listen to the... Hear what? 
All I hear is nonsense. Heartbeat of God, I saw walls of division coming down all over the city. And I felt like the Lord said that he's releasing an anointing uh, to wreak havoc on the spirit of religion that has tried to hold and bind. Oh, yeah, that, that spirit of religion. That's the, the, apparently the spirit that I supposedly suffer from because I point out that this is not at all biblical. This is not prophetic. This is not an actual manifestation of God the Holy Spirit. This is nothing to do with what God the Spirit is actually saying at all or has said to the church. And so, you know, what do they do in order to inoculate people against those who are biblically literate. Oh, they indoctrinate them with this idea of a religious spirit. Oh, yeah, don't listen to him. He has a religious spirit. Uh-huh. No, I don't, actually. ...and hold back the promises of the Lord. And I felt like the Lord said that this is going to be a new season, not only to ride the wave, but actually to start with a new momentum of what's to come. For I felt like the Lord is moving you into this season where no eye has seen nor ear heard nor has entered the heart of man all the things that God is preparing for those who love him and are called. Yeah, that's a, uh, an actual biblical text referring to the eschaton, not uh, what God's going to do as far as breakthrough in Brisbane is concerned. And I just felt like the Lord said there's a wind of purpose that he's about to release in the room. There's a wind of purpose. Oh, oh yeah, one of those purpose winds. Whew. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we can't do without those. It's been a while since we've had a good purpose wind blow through the church. For even many of you in this place tonight that are in transition, you've stepped out of one season into another. you stepped out of one season into another. And I felt like the Lord is taking many of you from the place of transition to the place of transformation. And I just feel like right now that this is not a season to quit, but it is a season to push. It is not a season to quit, but it is a season to actually press and actually partner with the pressure that's taking place. How does one partner with pressure? I'm curious as to exactly what the procedure is for accomplishing that particular task that you're saying God the Holy Spirit wants people to be doing right now. In the spirit, and I saw like the Lord putting like a big H over Brisbane, like a high pressure system. And I felt like the Lord is saying that he's getting ready to release the anointing that clears the air that begins to release even like the new jet stream of the spirit. And I f- uh, right, the new jet stream of the spirit is about to be released. Clearly, he was watching the Weather Channel just before he took the stage. Lord is about to cause this to be a season of overflow, and I saw the Lord just beginning to actually uh, create like cascading waterfalls that would begin to move even into the Gold Coast and even down the coast and around. And I felt like the Lord said, even as many had come to this region for vacation, they're going to actually discover breakthrough. Even as many had come to get away on a holiday, they're actually going to begin to discover the Holy One. And I felt like the Lord said that I'm getting ready to knock the walls out of this place. And I just felt like this, and I I want you to hear this word very carefully. I saw a wrecking ball coming to this building, and I asked the Lord what it was, and the Lord said, this building is going to become something different 
and the days ahead. And the Lord said it has been the incubator. It has been that place that uh, things were formed and things were dreamed and things were conceived. But now it's time to birth the new thing. And even- Birth the new thing. Birthing, by the way, is another one of our prophecy bingo card words. Before Pastor Catherine was talking about the new building, I felt like the Lord said that he is about to release a Holy Spirit capital campaign. And I felt like the Lord said what he's about to Uh-oh, hide your wall. It's a Holy Spirit capital campaign because they're getting ready to change what they are down there in Brisbane. That's going to cost lots of moolah. Supernatural. And he's going to give people an opportunity to partner with it. But simply, even if nobody else wanted to partner with it, God is about to do it. And I just felt like the Lord said that you can mark the date on the calendar that even before uh, before September 1st, 2019, there's going to be a brown, there's going to be a groundbreaking. A groundbreaking before September of 19. Got it. I felt like the Lord is actually going to begin to pinpoint the place on the map. And what I felt was the, the Lord said these words to me. I'm going to, I'm going to put my glory on display. I'm going to put my glory on display. And I just feel like the Lord isn't going to do it through billboards and signs, but he's actually going to do it through signs and wonders. And I I saw like a fire over the building by night and a cloud by day. And I just feel like many people are going to say, did you see that? And I feel like the Lord is saying that this is a season. Did you see that? And I felt like the Lord said that this is the season of that. This is the this is the season of that. Uh huh. Season of this is that which was prophesied. And I just felt like the Lord said that he's actually removing every limitation. He's removing every... So God's removing limitations right now. Why didn't he do it sooner? Limitation. And I saw just the limits coming off of minds, the limits coming off of resource, and the limits coming off uh, of the dreamers. And I felt like the Lord said it is the season to dare to dream again. Now, the winds of change, the season to dare to dream again, Mm -hmm. the winds of change are beginning to blow with the winds of worship throughout the nation of Australia. And I'm raising up those that would be prophets within the parliament that would not, that would not. Okay. Prophetic parliamentarians Uh speak the desire of the people, but that would actually declare and prophesy policy in the days that are ahead. And I felt like the Lord said that this is going to be a nation that God is going to heal the land. And I felt like the Lord said that I'm responding to those who have been crying out. And I feel like that there had even been those that did not know him that were crying out loud, like, Lord, help us. And I felt like the Lord said, I'm actually going to begin to answer the prayer of the un. Now, note, uh, while he's been engaging in this prophetic word salad, and you have to put the word prophetic in air quotes, um, the Bible has remained uh, unopened. Nobody there is hearing the, the real voice of God, which is found in the written word of God. Instead, they're, they're all clapping and hanging on to every word that this guy's saying, but he's saying nothing. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Believer in Australia. For there has been a cry from many who began to cry out, God, if you're real. And I am the Lord who shall prove myself by my strong right hand. I have made you a tipping point nation. 
I have made you not a place that is out of reach or hard to reach, but I'm about to make you the focus of the attention and the affection of the Lord. For the Lord says that I'm raising up a prophetic voice in Australia that shall begin to release an awakening and a quakening and even an alignment. Alignment and awakening are part of the prophecy bingo words that we've put in the card long time ago. The American church and into the European church and into the African church and into the Asian church. For I felt like the Lord said, it's time for you to see your global influence and to see the global perspective that I placed on the inside of you. For the Lord says that this is a season where I've anointed you as a nation of kings and priests. This is a season where it's time to take your place. Hmm. Aren't Christians in general kings and priests? Yeah, I just have to ask, you know, why would God be just now kind of releasing that thing that's already said about all Christians in Scripture? It is time to step into your place in my throne room. It is time for you to step into your place of ruling and reigning in the earth. For I felt like the Lord said that I am putting a a unique authority upon you for the season of the open door that is ahead. Do not sleep, do not slumber, do not uh, stay in the waiting room any longer. For the Lord says that I'm opening up a door. I'm opening up a door. I'm cracking the door open over the next three and four and five years that shall be, uh, that, that shall begin to launch a, 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 even a catastrophic event that will be destructive to the enemy, but not to people. I feel like that this house has been created to launch a catastrophic arsenal event that's going to shake the kingdom of hell off of its access. Catastrophic event is going to be released uh, from ground zero there at uh, Glory City Church in Brisbane. Yeah, (laughs) you might want to assume the crash position. That's actually going to begin to shake things off of their hinges. And I just really felt that, that the Lord is saying that in this season... And in this time that the Lord is releasing a fresh anointing, a fresh authority, and a fresh assignment. And I fresh authority, anointing, and assignment. Uh-huh. What does any of that mean? I just felt what what happens to the stale anointings and stale assignments? Like even as I was walking in to the sanctuary tonight, I felt like I almost like a chiropractor adjusted my back. And I heard the Lord say, Alignment for the assignment. No, you didn't. God didn't say that. I kept seeing as Pastor Catherine was praying and we were praying over Australia. I saw a river coming out from underneath the platform. And I kept hearing the Lord say, a river runs through it. And what I saw was... (laughs) That was a movie, man. It was pure water you could see through from the top to the bottom. And I felt like there was a purifying stream of the prophetic. And I feel like this house is going to be a part of purifying the prophetic. But also I felt like the Lord said that this is going to be a a house that raises up a river of revelation that begins to flow forth from here to the nations. It's a big word from a big God, but this is also a big... Yeah, none of this is actually from God. Not any of it. And none of what you've said has any real meaning. This is going to be the time of your life. 
This is going to be the time of your life. This is going to be the time of your life. I just saw the architects of heaven coming into this place. Wow. I mean, see, if you don't attend a church where the architects of heaven would come in and, you know, do some things, I mean, your church is just subpar. I mean, don't you want the architects of heaven coming to your church and doing stuff and stuff? I saw angels ascending and descending. On Christ? That's who they ascended. Oh, my goodness. Upon this place tonight. And when I saw them, I saw them coming with pens and and, and pencils and and paper and all of these things. And the Lord spoke to me and said, they are the architects of heaven. They're going to release the blueprint for the next wave, the blueprint for the next move, the, the blueprint. even. Yeah, by the way, this is creating expectation within the charismatic churches. There is this thing that they've got to do, and they've been doing since the death of Billy Graham. And they are waiting for the imminent outpouring, the next big wave of the Spirit to crash onto the church. And so by talking this way, he's creating anticipation for it. And they keep thinking, when is this thing going to show up? Billy Graham has been in the grave now for a while and uh, and days are now passing into weeks and months, and uh, before long it's going to be a year, and uh, there was supposed to be a great revival that broke out with the death of Billy Graham, and it just hasn't arrived yet. For the next building, spare no, spare no expense in the dream. Proceed as if resources are not an issue. I did not call you to build your house. I called you to build my house. Notice he's speaking first person now. And speaking for God in the first person. Tell me that's not creepy. Isaiah 66, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. But who will build me a house for which my glory can dwell? Lord, I thank you. You, you. you think the fulfillment of that is Glory City Church in Brisbane, Australia? For the Father's funding. Lord, I thank you that the, the foundation of the next building is the Father's foundation. When I felt like the, the Father's about to make a triumphal entry into the nation of Australia... I believe that many people are about to see the Father in in the streets. They're about to see and encounter the Father in churches. I felt like the Lord is getting ready to do something. Even What's he getting ready to do? Denominations that were resistant in the past. Okay, so note here, now comes an important talking point. you got to talk against the denominations who say that this isn't a move of God. Father in churches. I felt like the Lord is getting ready to do something, even through denominations that were resistant in the past. There's transformation coming to traditionalists in Brisbane. Yeah, so we've talked about religious spirit, traditionalists, those who are the arch enemies, apparently, of the charismatic church, you know, uh, you know, those who believe in the free form, fresh flowing of the Holy Spirit and that word salad equals prophecy. I just believe right now there's a great drawing together. 
I just kept hearing this as I was pulling into the car park tonight, calling all pastors, calling all pastors, calling all pastors. And I feel like there's about to be a prayer prayer initiative among the pastors of this city. And strongholds are going to come down. I saw thrones of the enemy coming down. Thrones of government coming down. Thrones of economy coming down. Thrones of, of, of... I mean, listen to this. He's going on and on and on and on. And we're going to just gut this out just a little bit longer because listen to what he's about to say regarding everything he just spewed. Worship and arts coming down. And I feel like there is something taking place even over the course of these next couple of years that are going to be destiny-defining for the next decade ahead. So, Lord, right now, I thank you that, Lord, there is an adjustment coming. Some of you right... Have you gotten bingo yet? <laughs> it's really easy to get a bingo off of this, uh, this so-called prophecy. Now God is adjusting your thinking. Some of you right now, God is adjusting your posture. He's adjusting how, how you're, you're entering his presence. Some of you, he's adjusting how you're stepping into this next season. Lord, I thank you right now for what you're about to do in this moment. There is momentum coming from the throne room of God. Lord, I thank you for the next wave of creative miracles. The the next wave of healing. The next wave of power that's about to be poured out. Lord, I thank you this next season is going to be a season of participation. I've been prophesying this. The next move of God is, is going to be really messy. Because building is a messy process. But it's also going to be messy because what he's about to do won't be able to be owned or contained by a movement. Because it's going to spill from the house to the streets like it did in Pentecost. And so, Lord, I thank you right now for a personal Pentecost that's going to lead to a public Pentecost. Lord, you're going to begin to flow through the streets of this great nation. Come on, I just saw the arms of the Lord holding the continent, the nation of Australia in his hands. And I felt like the Lord said that Australia is going to be something to behold in the days ahead. There's about to be miracle marriages. I believe that Australia is going to have one of the lowest divorce rates on the planet. Here come miracle marriages to Australia. I believe that Australia is going to have one of the greatest birth rates on the planet. I believe you're going to have some of the smallest statistics when it comes to crime and when it comes to addictions, that God is releasing a transformational anointing through society. I believe that transformational anointing, uh-huh. Lord, even over this next quarter, is actually bringing a refreshing, a restoration, uh, and even that adjustment, and even a season of, of repentance to the church so that the nation can be awakened. I just felt like the Lord said, he's about to pack out stadiums in Australia. Not just for footy and rugby, but for moves of the Spirit. I believe that actually there's going to be stadiums that are going to be packed with people. Not even for revival meetings or healing meetings or awakenings, but they're going to be prayer meetings. So prayer meeting at football stadium, because it's this is coming, man. You know, you can take this to the... No, you can't take this to the bank. None of this means anything. Hear me. Some of the biggest meetings that are going to be recorded in the history of Australia are going to be prayer meetings all over the place. So 
So Lord, I just thank you right now. Lord, that you would pack out stadiums, Lord, in every major city. Lord, you would pack out stadiums in all every state of Australia. That the church and your people would come together and pray that there would be a concert of prayer. Lord, I thank you right now that, Lord, this nation's being awakening, is being awakened to prayer. And as they awaken to prayer, they're going to be awakened to power. They're going to be awakened to promise. And Lord, I thank you right now that, Lord, this is not going to be known as a post-Christian nation, but a pre-revival nation. Lord, I thank you that as it goes with Australia, it shall begin to go with the rest of the world. Lord, I thank you as things begin here, there's about to be shockwaves through the Pacific Rim and into Asia. Lord, over across into South America and into North America, Lord, into Europe and into Asia, into Africa, God. Lord, I thank you right now that, Lord, there is a movement, Lord, of your spirit that, Lord, shall not be contained. Lord, I thank you for the tenacity of the Aussie church. Lord, I thank you for the fresh tenacity. And I just felt like the Lord was tearing something down. And this is what I felt. The stronghold of disappointment is coming down. No. Oh, man. It's about time, too, man. I'm telling you. So, Lord, would you turn every disappointed place into a new place of expectation? In Jesus' name. Amen. And by the way, by him ending in Jesus' name, one of the commandments says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. He is blaspheming now, blaspheming the name of Christ by putting Jesus' name on all of that nonsense that he just spewed. Amen. Amen. Do you believe the word of the Lord tonight? I believe the word of the Lord, but that none of that was an actual word of the Lord. Come on, if you believe the word of the Lord, come on. Will you give him a shout of praise right now? Come on, there's something about something about responding to the word of the Lord. There's... That's not the word of the Lord. Think about responding to what he's saying in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I went a little long on that segment on purpose to make a point. And the point has to do with this. What we just heard in many churches would have been you know, the length of that was almost the length of an entire homily or, or short sermon. And we didn't hear anything from God. And yet he over and again spewed that this was the word of the Lord and the people were to clap and applaud, clap and applaud for having received and they are being encouraged and kind of commanded to believe that what they just heard was the word of the Lord when nothing could be further from the truth. That was a complete and utter mess. And the sad part about it is is that those people legitimately thought that uh, this guy was a prophet and that he was hearing directly from God when, in fact, he wasn't hearing anything at all from God. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. John Gray is now vision casting. And then we'll also check in with Randy Feldschau about making room for miracles. 
Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, turning for the written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. presents Church Day Select. Gentlemen, we have two basic suggestions for the design of this megachurch, and I thought it best that the architects themselves came in to explain the advantages of both designs. That must be the first architect now. Ah, yes. This is Mr. Wapcat of Finkel, Dewey, and Grime. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, yes, the design I've devised for the new worship center has all the aesthetic beauty of the Crystal Cathedral with all the advantages of modern technology. Um, the congregants step through these wide double doors here are carried along the corridor on a conveyor belt in extreme comfort past the youth worship basement, the adult worship rock and roll arena, the monster truck smashatorium, and into the Sarlacc pit. The last 20 feet of the corridor are heavily soundproofed. The congregants slide down these chutes here into the open mouth. Excuse me. Hmm? Did you say Sarlacc Pit? Um, Sarlacc Pit, yes. Uh, are, are you proposing to digest our congregants over a thousand years? Does that not fit in with your plans? No, it does not. We wanted a simple megachurch, not a death trap. Ah, I see. I hadn't correctly divined your attitude towards the congregants. Uh-huh. You see, I mainly design occultist cathedrals. Yes, pity. Mind you, this is a real butte, not your average satanic mosque with people's beating hearts being ripped out of their chest or burning sulfur pits and convincing passers-by with burnt eyebrows. I mean... My life has been building up to this. Yes, and well done. But we did want a megachurch and not a temple of doom. Well, may I ask you to reconsider? I mean, you've no idea how modern and relevant this place can be. Think, think of the tourist trip. No, no, it's not going to work for us. By the way, um, why the Sarlacc pit? Well, it's a pretty standard feature in all of my projects. You see, if you're going to preach heresy, you might as well not even bother waiting. Just send them to the afterlife quickly is what I've always said. You mean heaven. <laughs> You are so funny! Thank you. You may leave now. Hypocritical puss buckets. My apologies, gentlemen. The next architect is Miss Parsons of Cromwell and Hague. Good afternoon, gentlemen. As you may notice from my scale model, the design takes us back to our ancestral Christian roots. Observe, 
the white bell tower, the baptismal font, the organ at the back of the Stop! church, and I beg your pardon. You've completely missed the whole point of the mega church. Uh, you've made something irrelevant. How is the seeker-driven church going to attract prospective customers? I, I mean, uh, congregants. Isn't church about worshiping Jesus Christ and hearing and learning his word? Jesus has got nothing to do with this. We need tithers, not decrepit old people clinging to their crack leather Bibles and going on and on about how the music's too loud and how the preacher doesn't read enough scripture, complaining about the coffee shop in the main foyer and how they charge too much for a double chocolate spring hazelnut latte. But they still pay the fourteen ninety nine for the latte because the water in the drinking fountain tastes like arsenic. <clears throat> That's enough, Miss Parsons. The answer is no. Very well, gentlemen. Have a good day. Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee, and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Yeah. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that people spewing word salad with words you can find on a prophecy bingo card are not actually prophesying. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith 2 into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. 
When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew, and rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month, and then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, click on the Donate button. If you'd like to become a patron on Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. And of course, if you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. And then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along. Time for a legitimate vision casting leader update.
so we're heading over to Relentless Church, and this is the church where Ron Carpenter used to hold sway as the vision-casting leader. Now, when it comes to monarchies, <laughs> yeah, think of vision-casting leaders the way you would monarchs. You know, how does it go, the king is dead, long live the king? And first order of business when you are a, a newly crowned monarch in the ancient world is you must put to death all potential rivals who would uh, somehow assert themselves against your power and authority and against your crown. Well, vision casting leaders are a lot like that. And, um, well, the uh, the newly crowned vision casting leader of Relentless Church is none other than John Gray. And let's just say that uh, he hit the ground running when it came to kind of like getting out there, drawing a line in the sand and making sure that everybody knew he's the guy with the vision. He's the boss. Yeah, if you're if you're loyal to the other guy, you're just not with the new thing that God's doing. And literally, you know, kind of in a way, casting aspersions against uh, uh, how Ron Cop- Carpenter did things or people who are loyal to him. It's very fascinating uh, as somebody who knows exactly what's going on here to listen to John Gray, you know, kind of put down his, you know, his territorial markers. Yeah, here we go. Todd said something during worship. He said, we are not, we're not here for any reason other than this, to get into the presence of God. We're not here for what is on our timeline and what is on our run of service. We are here to encounter the spirit of the living God. Other than that, we have wasted your time. It is my endeavor over the next seven weeks to line out and outline and declare the vision of Relentless Church. Since when did individual congregations get their own unique visions? Nowhere in Scripture is this practice taught at all. Uh, yeah, this, is, uh, this makes the vision-casting leader a de facto prophet. And uh, that's the only way that you can properly understand what's going on here. But, uh, yeah, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Yeah, and so when it comes to the vision-casting leader set uh, of megachurches and megachurch uh, leaders, uh, yeah, uh, each church has their own unique vision, and the vision-casting leader is the guy who gets that directly from God in this particular case— John Gray is the uh, vision-casting leader of note, and so he's the one calling the shots. And I want you to hear my heart, and I want you to receive it, and I want you to see if you line up with that vision, because the purpose is not to draw a crowd. It's to build a committed core. For too long, we've had people sitting on the sidelines in entertainment mode. Really, that's that's what the people were doing there when Ron Carpenter was in charge of Relentless. I just you know, curious. I mean, weird how he's painting the people that who, you know as far as what they were doing while they were there all these years. I do not exist to entertain you, and this is not a concert. 
we are a church. And so we are going to function as a church. The word will be preached. We will meet the needs. Yeah, it won't be preached accurately or properly, but it'll be preached. Those in our community that cannot do for themselves, and then we will see the demonstration of power in the Holy Ghost. Can I get an amen? Amen. Vision. It is what I as a leader have been tasked with speaking and declaring. And then you... No, you haven't. Nowhere in Scripture does God task pastors with casting and receiving unique visions for individual congregations. You haven't been tasked with that at all. God hasn't tasked you with this. Are going to be the hands and feet of Jesus along with me and my wife and our team. And we are going to watch God do things that have never been done. Not just here, but around the world. Not just here, but around the world. Ezekiel 37. Please go to Ezekiel 37. And now he's going to twist the valley of the dry bones. If you've received a vision from God and you can hear directly from God for what your church should be doing, why are you twisting God's word? Why aren't you hearing him say, knock that off, John? Ezekiel 37. I'm reading from the New King James Version. How many people are excited about this vision series? There's nothing worse than attending a church and you don't know why. Yeah, that's weird. The reason I say that's weird is because scripture is actually quite clear as to, you know, what the church is to be about the business of doing, you know, making disciples of all nations. And what the church does when it gathers is exactly what the church has been doing since the day of Pentecost. Let me explain. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, all of the newly baptized believers in Jesus Christ who were brought to penitent faith through the miraculous preaching of the Apostle Peter on uh, the day of Pentecost, it says this about them, Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, yeah, that's, yeah, they are teaching, to the fellowship, the koinonia, the breaking of bread, that's the Lord's Supper, and prayers. Yep, and that's what real Christian churches have been doing for the last 2,000 years devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. And devotion here means really applying yourself to it. You know, you know, be, you know, per, you know persevere in it is how the, uh, the Greek word is, uh, you know, works out. And so the, they devoted themselves. They persevered in the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayers. That's why I go to church, uh-huh, to you know, uh, persevere and devote myself to the apostles' teaching, which is found where? Oh, yeah, in the New Testament. The fellowship, the koinonia, the Lord's Supper and prayer. That's what our church gets together to do, and that's the mechanism, if you would, of disciple-making. Yeah, that's how disciples are made, how disciples are strengthened in their faith, 
it's pretty straightforward. I don't know what John Gray is talking about, but you know, yeah, they they they've got their own thing they do there apparently. There's nothing worse than coming into a building and having a nice experience, but the experience doesn't change you nor motivate you to change. It would be a disservice to the spirit of God to scintillate your emotions without giving you substance for your soul. Very quiet in this church. The purpose of vision is to help you and I to get on the same page. Yes, is which, which biblical text? Which biblical text says that's the purpose of vision? And if I speak what the Lord has given me to say, then you will know that you're in the right place, or perhaps there's another place more suitable to your persona. <laughs> it's my way or the highway. You either get behind this vision, which I claim comes from God, or you, you, you get out of here. Uh-huh. I'm under no illusion that I'm not everybody's pastor, but I'm somebody's pastor. And every church that's open to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we should work together. There is nothing worse than an insecure pastor who wants to see other people fail so they can feel good about themselves. That's a devil. Ezekiel 37 says this, the hand of the Lord came upon me. Brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and sat me down in the midst of the valley. And it was full of bones. Then he caused me to. Yeah, Ezekiel 37, if you just keep reading, we covered this when uh, Real Talk Kim addressed, you know, misused this passage, is referring to the general resurrection of the dead on the last day. That's the fulfillment of Ezekiel and the Valley of the Dry Bones. By them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed, they were very dry. They weren't just regular dry. They was extra crispy dry. <laughs> they had been dead a long time. The bones weren't dry, they were up in the balcony, they were on the floor. They were online. They were y'all online. Really? <laughs> Shout out to our relentless online family. We love you so much. We thank the Lord for your faithfulness. To be clear, there will be a moment where you will be able to sow but I did not want you to sow until you could see. Yeah, he, he, he wants to explain the vision before you start writing the big checks. I wanted you to hear the vision because I need you to know what you're sowing into. Yes, I believe in faith, but I also believe in transparency. Well, aren't you special? Yeah, but nowhere are pastors taught to cast vision. I'm trying. I'm trying. What exactly are you trying? For too long, people have played manipulating games. Look over here while I do this over there. No. Let me give you the vision. Make it plain so you understand that you're not sowing in. Yeah, twisting of Habakkuk 2-2 there. Well, man, you're sowing into the kingdom. 
I wish somebody would help me. Dry, and not just dry bones, very dry. And he said to me, son of man, he said to me, John, he said to me, no, he did not say to you, John, you were not there when Ezekiel received this vision of the resurrection of the dead on the last day. Pastor, can these bones live? So I answered, oh, Lord God, you know. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Somebody say you shall live. Somebody needs to hear that. So that spirit of depression that's been lingering in your family and messing with your mind and messing with your sleep and messing with your peace. Yeah, this is not a prophecy about depression at all messing with your hope and messing with your joy can go back to the pit of hell from where it came i need you to say it with some power and with some authority because you don't know what people are going through next to you tell them look them in the eye and say you shall live now i need you to worship right there because somebody just got free from a spirit of suicide no we Really? Somebody just right there and there got set free from a spirit of suicide. Wow, that was... Um, um, how do we know that to be... How can we confirm such a thing? Um, yeah, he's making these interesting declarations. But like I said, he's the new vision casting leader there at Relentless Church, and he's throwing down. You know, you know the king is dead. Long live the king. Yeah, and the new king is John Gray, and he's got a... Mark his territory, and there's a particular technique that goes along with doing that, and we just got to hear part of how that is done. Moving along. So I was having this wedding, and and we had we well we didn't have we shaba shaba shanda. Yeah, that, that's Heidi Baker and uh, Shubba. So uh, we're heading over to Cathedral Church where a uh, disciple of John uh, Kilpatrick, this is uh, uh, Randy uh, uh, Feldschau, he will be explaining to us how we can make room for miracles by tuning the room. Yeah, I have no idea what that means. But apparently we can make room for miracles by tuning the room. Here's Randy Feldschau to explain. In Matthew chapter 21... Verses 12, 13, and 14. I'd like to... Now, note, note something here. 
what what translation this is. And it's not even a translation. It's a paraphrase. The message. Yeah, if your pastor is exegeting the message, leave your church because the message is not God's word. It's like far from it. It's like not even remotely accurate as far as what it does with the biblical text. And it adds things into the biblical text that aren't even there. Um, so stay away from this thing. Avoid it like the plague. Uh, the message paraphrases as well as the so-called passion translation. Avoid that thing like the plague as well. Now, while he, before we get to that, let's go ahead and we'll uh, pull up Matthew 21 here in Accordance. That's the name of the software. Accordance, you can find it at accordancebible.com. And uh, we'll just kind of put that there for right now and then come back to uh, Randy Feldschau. Uh, let's listen in again. Read this portion of scripture to you and just lay the groundwork for what we're going to do today. It says here in Matthew 21 that Jesus went straight to the temple Mm -hmm. and he threw out everyone who had set up shop buying and selling. He kicked over the tables of loan sharks and the stalls of dove merchants. And he quoted the text. My house was designated a house of prayer, but you have made it a hangout for thieves. Now, here's, here's what I want you to see today in verse 14. Now, after this action that he took, now there was room for the blind and the crippled to get in. Notice that. (laughs) This is a feature of the message, not of the actual Bible. Let me explain. So he was reading uh, Matthew 21, particularly verses 12 and uh, 13 and 14. And here is the text center portion. This is from the English Standard Version, which is a good translation. It, it legitimately is a, a very fine English translation. Uh, you know, there's others that are out there. New King James is a perfectly good translation. If you like the King James, you know that's not a bad translation. Also, uh, the the language that it uses is not quite English anymore. At least that's old English, and nobody talks that way. Uh, but you can still study God's word quite beneficially from the King James. So, note I'm not showing a preference here in this point. I just I teach from the ESV because. It's so good as far as you know accuracy when it relates to the uh, Greek text. I used to teach from the NIV years ago, and it used to bug me because I'd always have to translate, you know, work out some of the bad translation in the NIV. Kind of drove me nuts. But anyway, we'll we'll take a look at Matthew twenty one twelve thirteen fourteen. Here's what it says: Jesus entered the temple, drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And that's cited from Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7, verse 14. Then it says this, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. What Randy Feldschau is reading is the message, which basically has inserted into this text the idea that having got rid of the money changers, now there was room 
for Jesus to operate. So he was casting them out in order to set up shop himself. That's not really what's going on here. And the message has added to the biblical text. Now, real quick, let's take a look at this in the King James, and you'll you'll see what I'm talking about. And boy, is that text small. I got to make that a little bit bigger. You know, old eyes, old eyes. So uh, here's what it says in the uh, King James. Jesus went into the temple, cast out all of them that sold and bought in the temple, overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves, and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. So you'll note that even the King James, there's nothing in there that you know even remotely hits hints at the idea that Jesus cast them out in order to make room so that he can set up shop this is a unique feature of the message which is you focus on the first four letters of the message m e s s and you'll understand avoid this thing you cannot study god's word accurately and get a proper understanding of what god's word says and means through the message paraphrase so, um, Randy Feldschild, let me back this up just a little bit so you can hear what he's claiming because he's exegeting from the mess, Edge. You see today in verse 14. Now, after this action that he took, now there was room for the blind and the crippled to get in. Yeah, no text says that. No Greek text says it. It's... This is the invention of Eugene Peterson, the creator of the mess edge. Notice that. They could get in now. They came to Jesus, and the second thing that happened is he healed them. So as Jesus got the house in order, the sick were able to get into the service, and they were able to get to him, and they were able to receive their miracle. I've always known. Jesus could have just as easily set up shop right outside of the temple, someplace in maybe a court in Jerusalem. This this is absurd, and no text says what the message is saying here, and you're making a lot to do about the, what the message adds rather than what the text actually says. There are things that can get into a service that can hinder the move of God. What? We understand that. We've talked a lot about it. How that there are certain things in a congregation that we have to guard against because... Yeah, things like adding to God's word, false doctrine, false prophecy, you know, things like that. False manifestations, false signs and wonders. Yeah, stuff like that. That, <clears throat> that uh, folks in the NAR and charismatic churches are quite known for. There are certain attitudes and spirits. There are certain things that can keep people out. How many people have left churches because of gossip or division, discord, politics? Yeah, those are all sins. Gossip, yeah, breaking of the Eighth Commandment, yeah, huh? things like that. How many people have left churches because they were treated worse inside the church than they were outside the church. Amen? Think about that. Some of you are here today. What does this have to do with casting out the money changers? 
watch where he goes very shortly from here. It's going to get into like really weird. Because you left a church where you were hurt. And you came to this church because you said, Pastor, I... Notice the music playing in the background. I think they hired Mr. Rogers, a former musician, to play lightly in the background there. feel safe here. I feel like you watch over your congregation and, you'll, and you don't tolerate things, church trouble, and you protect your people. So people come here because they sense a safe place. We've said that for years, that this is a safe place. And that I'm going to be a father in the house and I'm going to watch over the family. And that's why Paul told Timothy to rebuke and encourage with all authority. Because you have to pastor a church. You have to watch over people. But how many wants that? I mean, I know I do. I want my pastor to watch over me. I, you know. What does this have to do with Jesus casting out the money changers? We're like off in the weeds now. I won't. I've had Brother Kilpatrick deal with me before, and it wasn't always pleasant. But I want that because I know that he loves me. And as the Bible said, he's watching over my soul. Amen. So Jesus moves into the temple and he brings order to the house. And when he did, it made room. It removed the barriers. Okay. And the sick were able to get to Jesus. I pray this all the time when I'm, especially when I'm, it's Saturday and I'm getting ready for Sunday morning. I'm always praying, Father, please save this church from me. From good, good prayer. <laughs> flee then, flee, run away. This guy's a twister of God's word. Just another sermon. Don't let me get in the way. You already are like right in the middle of the way. You we can't even get around you at the moment because you're not rightly handling the biblical text, which is about Jesus, and you seem to be lost on that thing. And you're like added to the biblical text here, and you're exegeting from a portion of Scripture that doesn't even exist. Don't let me do it because I want people to get help. People today need help, and we gotta we gotta get out of the way, man. We've got to remove ourselves. Whenever you look at a room like this, we deal with things like acoustics, acoustics. That's those panels up there behind that screen. That's a, that's acoustical material. There's acoustical material in the back on that back wall. The ceiling was sprayed with material to help dampen the sound on front of the, the face of the balcony. There's acoustical material. What does acoustical material have to do with Jesus' clearing of the temple? When we're in a room like this, we have to address that, the acoustics of the room. And then we have to do what's called tuning the room, which is actually tuning the sound system. Whenever they tune the sound system, they'll come in here during the day and they'll set up a microphone, typically right in this area, and they'll run through the system what's called pink noise. And that pink noise will run through the sound system. That microphone will pick it up and it will expose, okay, it will expose the sound waves in this room. It will expose that sound, that pink sound, and they're able to what's called flatten out 
the sound, the audio. They want to flatten it out. They don't want real high peaks, real, real low peaks. They want to flatten it out as much as they can. They want a flat wavelength across there, okay? Yeah. So you have to deal with acoustics. You have to deal with tuning the sound system. And by doing that, you get a more pleasant sound. You have to know that silence does not exist. In this room right now, there's more than just my voice. There's more than just... Is this just filler? What function is this serving in helping people rightly understand Matthew 21? The keyboard. But there is always sound in this room. You can come here during the day when there's no one in this room. And if you'll stop and you'll listen, you'll hear sound. Silence does not exist. And you have to know in a room like this with the acoustics and the tuning of the sound system, the desire is to remove unwanted sound, to remove it, to remove that. Job chapter 34 and verse 16, he said, if now thou hast understanding, hear this, hearken to the voice of my words, hearken to the voice of my words. Okay. I've said to you before, and today I'm going to repeat myself on some things, so please be patient, but hearken to the voice of my words. Words have a voice. Science, scientists believe that when you speak something, it, it, the sound waves move out into the universe and they never stop moving. Jesus- no, scientists do not believe that. It is impossible for sound to travel through the vacuum of space. Sound waves do not travel that way. said you will give an account for every idle word that's spoken so there must be some truth to sound never stops and so the word that you release it the word itself has a voice and it speaks and speaks and speaks and speaks we know that with for example with one another if if i look at especially those that are young and impressionable and tender if i look at a person and i say you're stupid or you're ugly or you're this or you're that or you'll never amount to anything those words have a voice that play in their head over and over and over again amen what does this have to do with clearing the temple and the opposite is true that if you look at a person and you say you're you're handsome you're beautiful you're intelligent you're gifted i I see a great future for you that word plays over and over and over in their mind amen so we understand that words have a voice so hear me this morning with that said and talking about the acoustics and talking about tuning of the sound system know this we make room for miracles as jesus did by tuning the room. <laughs> oh, man. What on earth? We make room for miracles by tuning the room. <laughs> yeah, um, biblical, sound biblical doctrine, good exegesis, Proper hermeneutics. They've left the building. They're vacationing somewhere in Bermuda, I think. I have no idea what any of this means. This has nothing to do 
with the text. And again, notice where he's putting the emphasis. He's putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. And the reason I say that is because the emphasis is on a syllable that isn't even in the biblical text. It's <laughs> ah, I, I can't go on. I no, we're we're done. We're, yeah, there's there's no way to fix this. It's broken into a bazillion pieces. And you can't fix this. You just, nope, nope. You're going to have to get rid of this guy. He's not a pastor. He may be a buffoon or a clown or some imposter who scratches itches ears and traffics in pseudo profundities, but he is not a, a proper preacher of God's word by any stretch of the imagination. He has literally fallen on his face, and there's no way to recover here. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to be listening to Dan Hagen, the pastor of Ben Fitzgerald explaining to us about operating in the supernatural. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Peter, James, John, and Paul are all dead. That means there are no living apostles in the church today. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Hi, Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Listening to this program right now. Have you ever found yourself wishing there was more Fighting for the Faith content that you could listen to and share with your friends? Well, you're in luck, because we now at Pirate Christian Media have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twist Busters, You Don't Have to Be a Cessationist, Messed Up Church, Exclusive Skype Interviews, Pirate Gang Conversations, and our most popular segment, Dumpster Fire. So if you're looking for some extra pirate Christian media goodness in your life, head on over to YouTube and search for Fighting for the Faith and subscribe. Oi, Captain, we got ourselves a heretic. And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. (laughs) To err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. 
Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. time. Let's do this right, though. The good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon is preached by Dan Hagen. You don't know who he is. He is the pastor of Ben Fitzgerald of, well, Bethel fame. And his parents, yeah, Ben Fitzgerald's parents, they're, they're the Christ alignment people who have come up with their own Christianized tarot cards. Yeah. And uh, we're going to be listening as to the sermon particularly to pay attention to the NAR's concept of holiness and Christian sanctification. And we're going to note that their ideas regarding sanctification and holiness are not what Scripture teaches at all. Like, not even close. So let me go ahead and back up on the music. And without any further ado, uh, here's Dan Hagen and Supernatural. Yeah, part two. Here we go. I want to take us to Proverbs 23.7. Proverbs 23.7. Now I know exactly what he's going to do here. Everybody twists this text this way. Let's take a look at the text in question. Proverbs 23, 7. And uh, they are, he's going to be actually uh, quoting it from the King James. So let's take a look at it in the King James. And he's not even going to actually give us the whole verse. He's only going to give us part of it. Uh, uh, so uh, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. There it is. See? Look at this. This this is a verse out of context like you wouldn't believe. And so if you've ever heard anyone say, so as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So we need to think in our heart and believe God for the miraculous, for the supernatural, because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Yeah, you're being deceived. Um, yeah, the three rules, by the way, for sound biblical exegesis are context, context, and context, and in this particular case, all we need to do is add 
well, one verse before and one verse after, and you'll get exactly what's going on. We'll take a look at it in the King James here so that you can see the you know what's really going on here. I'll look at it then in the ESV so you can see what a modern translation does with this passage, and then you can see what Daniel Hagen's doing. Uh, but here's what it says. Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye. An evil eye is somebody who's jealous or stingy, okay? Neither desire thou his dainty meats, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. The morsel which thou hast eaten shalt thou vomit up and lose thy sweet words. Yeah, so you sit and go, you know, this doesn't sound like it's teaching me that as I think inside of me, so I am when it, in regard to... Um, Miracle working and stuff like that. Yeah, and the reason for that's actually quite simple because this text ain't teaching that. Now, here's what the ESV does with it. Important to note because uh, you want to see how a modern translation handles uh, these biblical texts. Uh, Proverbs 23, 6, 7, and 8 from the English Standard Version. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy, nor desire his delicacies, comma, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. Now you get what's going on here. And so when somebody quotes the King James out of context and says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. He's twisting God's word. And you'll note, this is where he begins, because by twisting this passage and quoting half of a sentence... And out of context, he can then spin an entire new doctrine that's not taught in Scripture. And by the way, the technique that he's engaging in is called proof texting, where you take different verses or sentences or half sentences out of context. You take it from this book and then another one from that book and then another from this book. And then a like string of pearls kind of fashion, you put them together on the string and then you make it look like as if the Bible's teaching this doctrine, but that's not what the Bible's doing at all. And so, you know, to give an example of how this works then as a technique, uh, you know, one biblical passage says, Judas went and hung himself. And another passage ripped out of context says, go thou and do likewise. So there, you know, yeah, this is no way to handle uh, God's word. And so we'll note that Dan Hagen, he's already up to no good right out of the chute. Hmm. Is that like new age music in the background? I feel like lighting some incense or something. It reads, for as he thinks in his heart, so he is. For now, I'm going to write dot, 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 dot. I just want to point that particular part out of this proverb. I'm going to read it. Out of context. One more time. For as he thinks, or as a man or as a woman thinks in his heart, so he is. One of the reasons that we are focusing on the supernatural this week is prophetically I felt to, but also because I want to... No, prophetically he felt to. So he, he's been he's been receiving emanations from the spiritual realm. Maybe like Aquaman or something. You know, oh, I felt, oh, the spirits wanted me to move. In the, no, yeah, this guy's a manipulator. Strengthen us as a community and as a family in this area. I want to see all of us as a community grab a hold of 
the supernatural. Understand the power that abides in us. Understand the anointing that abides. Understand it's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that lives in us, that abides in us. Amen? But if we're not thinking about it, if we're not focusing on it actively, even in a sense of being disciplined in that, then, you know, we're not going to see that manifest. We're not going to see the river. So now you see what he's doing here. So, you know, if you're not actively thinking about manifesting supernatural signs and wonders, it's never going to happen. No, because, you know, as a man thinketh, so is he. So you got to be actively thinking, I must manifest signs and wonders, think, 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 signs and wonders, manifestations, think, 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 think. Yeah, no, this is not what the Bible teaches at all. This is a totally fabricated doctrine by him taking Proverbs out of context and now making an assertion as it relates to the supernatural based upon his twisting of Proverbs 23.7. Flow out of us the way we should. I believe the more we focus on it, the more we think about it, the more that river flows with more fervency. With Most important words he said there were, I think. Uh-huh. If this is what the Bible said and taught, he'd be able to say, the Bible says in such and such a place, chapter, verse, in context, da 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 But you know, he said, I think. So now we're getting doctrines based upon his thinking, not what a biblical text says. This is not biblical, what he's saying. The current's stronger, and it touches more people and spreads out even further. Amen? So individually, I'd encourage you to do this. But also collectively as a body, as a family, it is one of our core values. If you look at our website, we've got a list of core values. And as I mentioned last week, core values are very important. We have a number of core values. But for me, a core value means it's a value that I never want to bend from. It's like a pillar truth that holds this thing together. The foundation is Jesus. He's the chief cornerstone, the Word of God. And we have these pillar truths, of course, that are based, that are formed from the Word of God. And one of them, as a family, as a community, is that we are a supernatural people. <laughs> so one of our core values, you know, we, we made this decision ourselves all on our own authority. We made the core value. We are a supernatural people. So in order to fulfill this core value, I need you people to think, 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 really think and focus on, you know, manifesting the supernatural because it won't happen unless you do that. Because, you know, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So if you think you're a supernatural person and you apply yourself thinking wise to manifesting supernatural stuff, then, 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 then it will happen. Yeah. So that's how Jesus did it. So that's how, how the apostles did it too, because they were constantly applying themselves to thinking that they were supernatural people. Yet no biblical text teaches this. This is just nonsense. We're not a natural church. No. We're naturally supernatural. 
Amen. Yeah, he stole that from Sid Roth. Yeah. By the way, if you were naturally supernatural, n- n- the word naturally in that context makes it sound like you know this is an everyday thing for you. This is just how you normally operate. And if I have to apply myself, think, 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 uh, to in order to manifest uh, miracles and stuff like that, then that's not naturally supernatural. That's like I'm supernatural through intentionality and striving super duper hard to think supernaturally. That's not naturally supernatural at all. The Bible says that the carnal mind, or in other words, humanistic thinking, is enmity towards God. How many people know what enmity means? But it gives it, it's a strong word. It literally means strong hate. The carnal mind. Yeah, I, you got to do a little bit of work here. Enmity. Let's see if, uh, yeah, yeah, this is going to be tough. A carnal mind is at, you know what? That kind of reminds me of like something I've read in Romans 8. Ah, here we go. Yeah, I think this might be what he's talking about. Um, yeah, here we go. Um, for, uh, yeah, let's see here for what the law could not do. Romans eight, let's go ahead and go to Romans eight, verse one. There is therefore now no condemnation to them, which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do in that it was weakened through the flesh, God ascending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, so that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do... Uh, no wonder I'm reading it in the King James. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the fl- uh, flesh, but they are that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now that's a little confusing. Let's clean it up by opening up the ESV. Yeah, see, there you go. You got to pay attention to your translations, Roseboro. Here's what it says, uh, Romans 8, 5. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Uh, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, you're going to note in the flesh here is the opposite of being in the spirit, and in the spirit is literally synonymous with believing by faith. Uh, That's the whole point that uh, Paul is making in this section of Romans. So we'll note that uh, Daniel Hagen here is uh, twisting this text. Strong hate towards the things of God. And even as Christians, I believe we can fall into the trap of being carnally minded people if we don't choose to put on the mind of Christ and to discipline our mind to think on things that are holy, that are pure, that are just. Now, there's a good cross-reference to the text we just read, and that's found in Galatians chapter 5. And uh, I'm going to 
point this out because we want to make sure we got the, what does it mean to set your mind on the things of the flesh? And here's what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, 16. Uh, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Now, note here, the desires of the Spirit is not talking about uh, uh, applying yourself to being a supernatural person. Watch what's going on here. So if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh, they are evident. Are you ready? Here they are. Sexual immorality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, now watch, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So flesh, you know, to set the mind on the flesh has to do with, you know, the, the, the desires of the sinful flesh. Set the mind on the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Not operating in the supernatural. What uh, this fellow is doing is setting up a, a dichotomy that Scripture doesn't make. Because he's dealing in the, you know, the the flesh has to do with like just being natural, the spirit intentionally focusing on manifesting supernatural stuff. Philippians four talks about this supernatural experience that we can have, this position of peace, this position of freedom in our life, ongoing freedom, if we'll choose to think upon. And to pray about and to meditate on things that are pure, that are holy, that are just. Just to name a few. It says that the peace of God, the peace that passes understanding. In other words, it's so powerful that I I shouldn't even try to articulate. And I would struggle to articulate how wonderful and how powerful it is. The peace that passes understanding. Why? Because the carnal mind can't get it. It's so phenomenal. The world tries to imitate this peace. The enemy tries to give us this false peace, false comfort. But Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And you know, when you got born again, you get that peace as a part of your inheritance. It's actually not only around you and not only in these meetings when we're all worshiping, but it's in you, it lives in you, it abides in you. But once again, it can be dormant if you don't think right. Because as a man thinks, so he is. Amen? So we need to. All right, so the supernatural peace thingy. Yeah, it's going to, you know, lie dormant because you're not thinking enough. That's not what Scripture teaches at all. He's totally created his own false doctrine by ripping a few passages totally out of context and then telling us what he thinks. This isn't Christian sanctification, what he's describing. Discipline the mind. We need to train the mind. We need to train the brain. 
brain. We need to rewire the mind sometimes to think as Jesus thinks and not think the way we used to think. Amen. And, and what do you mean by that? So now I want to take us to Romans 12, 2, and I'm starting here today because... We're like hopscotching all over the Bible here without reading any passages in context. I want to tell you why we're doing this series and why we're focusing on this. Scripture's important. Teaching's important because it's the Word of God that renews our mind. It's being in His presence that renews the mind. There's a number of things that helps renew the mind, but I think nothing more important or powerful than the Word of God itself and teaching. And that's why Jesus said, and that's why it says in the Bible, not to neglect the fellowship of the saints. Because we get together on a weekly basis. We get together in our small groups. We get together over lunch and we talk about the Scriptures. We talk about Jesus because we're continuing this process of being transformed in our life we're continuing this process of having our minds renewed so that we can live out and look more like Jesus. Amen? And we need one another. For- and here's the thing. Live out and look more like Jesus means performing signs and wonders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's not talking about, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. No, as opposed to the sins of the flesh. No, no. Looking more like Jesus means like glowing in the dark or something. Walking on water, you know, that's what he's talking about. You guys okay? Romans 12, 2, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We talked about that. Yeah, no, funny that he left an important verse out. Romans chapter 12, context, context, context. Verse 1 is actually vital. Uh, Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God, which is the grace of God, which Paul expounds upon in the first 11 chapters of Romans, that we are saved by grace through faith, apart from works of the law, that Christ has bled and died for our sins. Those are the ideas. And so I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bodies, living sacrifice, you are already holy because Christ has made you holy. So do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Note here, he didn't he kind of left all of this first part out, you know. He left all of the part about, you know, presenting your bodies as living sacrifices, not being conformed to the world. But he's focusing in on, and be transformed by the renewal of your mind. See? uh, Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So be transformed in the renewing of your mind so that you can perform miracles. That's not what this text is talking about. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect, uh, you know, and, and perfect. And so he will even go on then to say things like this in the same chapter. So let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing 
honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. So you'll note here that the things we're supposed to be doing are actually laid out for us here. And notice Paul is not saying, walk on water, raise the dead, heal the sick, perform signs and wonders, and be naturally supernatural. Everything he's telling us that we should be doing, this is uh, related to the fruit of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control, stuff like that. But that's not where Mr. Hagen's taken us. Last week, the perfect will of God, the acceptable will of God, we pointed to Jesus. And by the way, if you weren't here last week, we've now uploaded the full message on YouTube. So you'll be able to check out part one last week and no doubt we'll put up part two again so you can continue to go over it meditate on the word of god get your mind renewed in this area so that you become naturally supernatural amen and live like jesus See, there it is yes yeah, see there it is but that's not what <laughs> none of the passages saying say that think these things so and be transformed with the renewing of your mind so that you can become naturally supernatural again i will note that um, <laughs> the things that Paul is pointing us to in Romans 12 are let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, don't be slothful in zeal, fervent in spirit, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. <laughs> yeah, that's the things he's pointing to. And like I said, Daniel Hagen here has been pointing us to us being naturally supernatural, which is not Christian sanctification at all. But in the NAR... You know, you got to be naturally supernatural, which is weird then because all this pressure is put on you by twisting these passages out of context and everybody feels the pressure. I need to apply myself to performing signs and wonders and being naturally supernatural. And none of them are actually performing any signs and wonders at all. You know, and so now you've got a problem. What are you going to do? I can't perform signs and wonders. A lot of them end up leaving, going, this is ridiculous. A bunch of them feel shame and guilt because they're not able to operate in the supernatural. But then a small percentage of them, you know, what they do is, I'm performing signs and wonders. And uh, they engage in all kinds of false signs and false wonders, you know, like leg lengthening, uh, psychic, uh, I'm sorry, prophetic readings using smartphones and internet connected devices and stuff like that in order to put forward the impression, ah, oh, they're pulling it off. They've applied themselves. They glow in the dark. No, they don't. This is a uh, theology that literally is delusional, not biblical, and puts a lot of pressure on people to do stuff that they were never called to do and they can't do anyway. And the people claiming that they're doing it, they ain't doing it. You know, I have yet to see a single apostolic quality sign, wonder, or miracle performed by anybody who teaches a theology like this at all. And this is in the day where everybody has a video camera in their pocket by way of a smartphone. Just keep that in mind.
Now, let me back this uh, video up just a little bit, and I want you to hear this again in context, and then watch the ramifications of this doctrine that he's teaching, that you've got to apply yourself, you've got to think, so that you can manifest miracles like Jesus did, and watch where he goes with this, because this is going to, he's going to take this plane right into the ground. Here we go. Again, so you can continue to go over it, meditate on the Word of God, get your mind renewed in this area, so that you become naturally supernatural, amen, and live like Jesus. Does that sound all right? No. So do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable, perfect will of God. It was not the good and acceptable, perfect will of God for Chile to have emphysema. Now, a little bit of a note here. Now he's going to apply this to somebody who has a very serious sickness. And we're going to note that um, since the well, since Jesus' ascension, the death rate for all Christians, you know, for the last two millennia has been 100%. Mm-hmm. And you're going to note, well, it's not the will of God that so-and-so had emphysema. Understand this, is that ultimately all of our healing as Christians comes in the resurrection. Jesus does not promise us perfect health now, nor does he say it's not your will that you won't be sick. People do get sick and they still die as Christians. And this theology is going to put all the blame on them for not thinking or believing enough. Watch what he does. Now, some may argue with that. Even some well-meaning Christians may argue with that and say, well, no, God just gave him that. He's allowing that to happen because he wants to teach Chile a lesson. Some may say, well, it's just something that he has to walk through. But I want to tell you that consistently right throughout the scripture, we see that Jesus was always healing the sick. And once again, yeah, and his signs that he did prove that he's who he claimed to be, the Messiah. Let me give you an example of, you know, kind of the the purpose of the signs and wonders that Jesus did. And that's explicitly laid out for us in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, starting at verse 30. It says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Yeah, see, the signs that Jesus performed were for the purpose of our believing that he's the Son of God and that by believing we might have eternal life. That's the point. And so, yeah, it doesn't say, you're going to just note here that it doesn't say then, therefore, Christians don't get sick if they just apply themselves in their minds. That's, you know, he's kind of missing an important thing here. And his theology of sanctification is way off. To reiterate and to uh, just reaffirm that it's always the will of God to see the sick healed. Okay? Yeah, which is weird because everybody dies, including the charismatics. They all die. And they die at the same percentage rate of everybody else as far as the overall population when it comes to car crashes, to diseases. Uh, you know, cancers and you know, Alzheimer's and old age and things like that. So what he's there's no text that says it's always God's will to always heal Christians. So if that's the case, then why do Christians die, Daniel? 
Why do Christians get sick and have cancer and things like that? Watch what he says. If you believe otherwise, then so you are. As a man thinks, so he is. If you believe it's the will of God for sometimes to see the sick healed, well, then you'll probably see it sometimes. Because as a man thinks, so he is. But if you'll believe in the way that Jesus believed. Now, that's an important piece. If you believe the way Jesus believed, this reveals that he believes that Jesus performed his miracles by belief. (laughs) That Jesus is like a man who you know, perfectly believed, and because he perfectly applied himself to thinking properly, his right thinking is what led to his ability to perform signs and wonders and miracles. That's a false Christology here. Dangerous. Believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then the results that Jesus saw potentially will be the results that you'll see. Because as a man thinks, so he is. And there you go. Totally duplicitous, false doctrine. And now the onus is on people. And here's the thing. You buy into this, it's just a matter of time. And I mean this. It's just a matter of time before you get a very serious illness or a a chronic problem with your body. And what's going to happen is, is that you're going to be told that it's your fault. God, it's his will to heal you. But the fault is on your fault on your part because as a man thinketh, so is he. You have been you've been engaging in stinking thinking, and this is your fault. So you know you you know yeah. The the, the fault here is is that this is not a biblical doctrine. This is not a biblical teaching. Now that does not mean that God doesn't answer prayer. He does, and he can, and still does. But he doesn't always answer our prayers with Lord, heal me with yes. Oftentimes, the answer is no. And we've got to be okay with that because ultimately the answer is going to be yes when Jesus returns and we are raised from the grave. Again, the death rate for all Christians, 100%. And it has been for the last 2,000 years. If it's God's will that we are, that we are always healed, then Christians would always be healed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just saying. This is just duplicitous. Who's with me this morning? If, it's a little bit quiet this morning. I might need a little help. If, I, if you think it's true, just give us a big cheer this morning. Let's celebrate truth. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, that word transformed, sometimes we quote that, and it is something that we commonly quote because it's a powerful scripture. But sometimes we think, oh yeah, if I just renew my mind, I'll get a little bit better in this particular area, or I'll get a little bit better in this area if I learn a little bit more. But I want to unpack this word transformed. And there's a, the original coining in Greek word or the old Greek language. It's metamorpho. MET, for those making notes, you can study it in your own time. It's And if you've got a Strong's Concordance, capital G3326. Metamorpho. That's the Greek word. Are you guys kind of starting to get where I'm going with this? What does There's an English word that's, that sounds very similar to that, right? Metamorphos. That's where we get... 
the word from. It's the Greek language of metamorpho. Now, what does metamorphosis mean? I want to just read a couple of answers to that. We're going to go, the first one, it says, of an insect or amphibian. To undergo a metamorphosis, especially into the adult form. For example, feed the larvae to your fish before they metamorphose into adults. Or for example, a butterfly in a cocoon. When it goes through a metamorphosis process, it literally transforms into something powerful and completely different. I'll give you another definition In another dictionary, it says, A, to change into a different physical form, especially by supernatural means. I'll read that again. To change into a different physical form, especially by supernatural means. Another definition in the dictionary, to change strikingly the appearance or character of. That's what we can expect when our mind gets renewed. That's what you can expect when you come to church on Sunday and you begin to read the Word of God in your personal life and begin to believe what you're reading. Your mind is, you're not just reading a history book. You're not just reading some thing to make you happy. It's a supernatural thing that's causing your mind to be renewed, which is going to bring A metamorphosis where you'll literally be changed into something else. Supernaturally changed into something brand new. You'll go to a place where you've never been before, where you've been in a season of being in a cocoon. So notice uh, by talking about metamorphosis in this way, which is overcooking what's going on in the Greek, uh, he's basically trying to sound like, make it say that we become a totally different supernatural species by the transforming of our minds and that, and that we can then operate naturally in the supernatural. That again is not what's going on in Romans 12 too. We've already looked at this in context. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when you read out the rest of the chapter, it's explicitly clear what's being referred to here, and it's not you operating naturally in signs and wonders. Yep, Daniel is really, really twisting up the Scriptures horribly here. And kind of learning all of a sudden, as your mind gets renewed, you get transformed into a butterfly, into something brand new, and you begin to fly into this new season in your life. That's what happens when we read. Yeah, you've totally twisted Romans 12 too now. The Word of God, when we apply the Word of God, when we're active in the Word in our life. Stand up for a minute. Man, that's good preaching. No, it's not. I I don't know about you, but I like that. I'm, I'm starting to get like blasted and whacked up here just thinking about it. Blasted and whacked as in like, you know, drunk in the spirit. Man, God help us never to go through the motions, never to take for granted the, or be familiar with the word of God, that it is supernatural, that there can be a process, a metamorphous process, a supernatural process as we begin to believe your word and read your word and 
Allow our minds to be renewed in Jesus' name. Put your hand on your mind this morning. Put my hand on my mind. God. Jesus. I want encourage you just begin to pray in the spirit as your hands and your mind. Reba. Jesus. Yeah, now that's gibberish. That ain't the gift of tongues. And what he's doing by even starting to syllabalize, you know, this gibberish, he's literally disobeying the clear word of God that says and forbids people from speaking in tongues in a church service without an interpreter. Transformation, metamorphosis. Supernatural. That will be changed. That will go from glory to glory. Jesus. 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 Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. All right, grab your seats again. It's not just positive thinking. It's not Tony Robbins telling you things. Yeah, this is actually related to the mind science cults. Yeah, you know, Christian science and others. You want to hear to make you feel better. All of that stuff's not evil in, in, in itself, but this is deeper. This is supernatural. I mean, I can tell you certain principles, even if you're a non-Christian, that'll help you be a little bit happier in your day-to-day life. But that's not going to cause a metamorphosis in your life. That's not going to cause a supernatural spiritual change. You know, we're a spirit people. Yes, we have a body. Yes, we have a soul. But we're a people of the spirit. We're not led of the flesh, but by the spirit. We're sons and daughters of God. And if you're not a Christian in this place, then I'm so glad you're here today. Because you're going to meet this God that will cause a metamorphosis in your life. You don't need to put band-aids on your life anymore. He's literally going to give you a heart transplant and make you a brand new person. And we're going to give you opportunity in just a moment, just a little while, to have this supernatural transformation in your life. For those that don't know Jesus, there's some here today. I can feel it and I can even see it. I feel like I'm visualizing it right now. There's going to be a number of people that give their life to Jesus today. Come on, let's give Jesus some praise for that. So now I want to take us to Matthew chapter 17, verse 14. And we're continuing on from last week. There was one, if you remember last week, there was one point in the sermon where it talked about how I said, even Jesus had to fight the good fight of faith. Jesus is fully God, and yet when he was uh, on the earth, he was also fully man. 
okay? And so he had to fight the good fight of faith. We see him at one point being led into the wilderness, fasting, praying. There were times where he had to get away from the multitudes because he had to get up onto the, into the mountain to spend time with the Father to pray. We see in particular, and I pointed out this case last week, there was a time where he prayed for a blind man. How many people remember him praying for a blind man? He prayed for many blind men, but this particular one, he asked the blind man, he said, what do you see? So he prayed and then said, is there a difference? He said, what do you see? And the blind man said, I see men like trees. In other words, my vision is blurry. So he hadn't received the full healing, although Jesus prayed that he would receive the full healing. And this is Jesus, the perfect minister. We see he had to fight the good fight of faith. How did he fight? Well, he said, well, I'm not going to give up here. I'm not going to be content with just saying, oh, at least it's a little bit better before. I'm going to pray again. And I believe he allowed that to be in Scripture for us to see, to encourage us that we're not to give up We're not to change our mind on the goodness of God. We're not to change our mind when it comes to the willingness of God to heal or begin to form some new doctrine or change what is consistent all the way throughout the New Testament. That is Jesus heals all the time. But we're to pray again. We're to fight the good fight of faith to see the complete breakthrough. And so Jesus... So note, um, you know, the uh, Phil Johnson lecture from a couple weeks ago that we played regarding uh, the cessation of the gifts that this they're misusing this is a perfect example of misusing the text that Jesus is the same yesterday today and forever so therefore he must heal yeah that's a total twisting of that text and rules out you know and and misapplies you know what what do you do when uh, the apostle paul tells Timothy who's suffering from stomach ailment ailments to medicinally take wine uh-huh. What do you do with that? You know, the Apostle Paul, who could uh, heal with handkerchiefs, didn't send him a hanky. Right. So we got a big problem here uh, that the, the Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. That, oh, well, Jesus didn't always heal in the Old Testament either. So we got a problem here. This guy is misapplying texts and creating literally a, a, a construct, a legalistic construct as it relates to operating in signs and wonders and the supernatural. Prayed again, and guess what happened? He saw the complete breakthrough. For some of us, it might be five times. For some of us, it might be 17 times. For some of us, it might be a 100 times. But we keep striking the ground until we see that breakthrough. We don't give up. We don't change our minds. We turn our minds towards the truth of the Word of God. We renew our mind. If we're not seeing breakthrough, rather than blame God, think, okay, how can my mind be more renewed? What can I do to have more of a metamorphosis in my life? How can I become more transformed into the image of Christ? What can I do to continue on this adventure? Continue yeah, on this. So it's up to me. I've got to do this stuff so that I can perform the miraculous. Me, 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 I, 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 and it's all up to me and my thinking. That's not what Proverbs 23, 7 teaches. This whole theology is corrupt through the core. ...of looking like Jesus. Are you with me? So, 
Let's keep going. Matthew 17, 14. I want to bring another point out in the Word of God to help us understand this, to help us on this supernatural journey. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. And Jesus answered, O faithless, perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. I want to go after something here for a moment before I move on to my main point in this passage. Notice the man with the sick son. He says, I brought my disciples to your, sorry, I brought my son to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Notice Jesus didn't correct him there and say, well, that's because it's not them that does it. It's the father that does it. Did you know that Jesus told the disciples to heal the sick? Now it is God that does it. It is Jesus that does it. But it's Jesus in you. Did you know there's an onus on you to heal the sick? Because you have something in you called an anointing. Uh, What? The onus is not on me. Jesus gave the ability to perform signs and wonders to the apostles. In fact, these were the signs of the apostles. The onus is not on me to do any of this. I can pray, and if God chooses to answer my prayers, he can do so. That's his prerogative. But there is no onus on me to perform miracles. You have the Holy Spirit. You have miracle-working power in you. This is this may be this, a really slight rewiring of your mind right now, but when I made this rewiring in my mind around 14 years ago, the st- statistically, I think, I think it was like 70. I saw 70 percent more people healed when I had this rewiring just with this small revelation. Are you with me? What is that revelation? It is that I don't need to beg. God to hit the healing switch in the third heaven. Which is a pejorative way to talk about prayer. To pray is to petition God, to ask, to humbly make supplications. Notice how he is literally casting aspersions on what Scripture teaches regarding how we humbly ask God to heal or to answer our prayer. And hope that if I say the right words and hope that if I've been good that week, that it'll hit the healing switch and that person will be healed. I realize that God has already provided the provision for healing. His son has already gone to the cross. His son has already taken the stripes on his back 2,000 plus years ago. And that's why it says in Isaiah 53, 5, that by his stripes, we are healed. 
Yeah, that's referring to our salvation. It is not a promise of healing physically in the here and the now. We're not asking God in the third heaven to hit the healing switch anymore. He said, I did more than hit the healing switch. I provided my son as the provision for your healing. I'm glad there's five people that believe me this morning. Well, if you check it out in the Word, you'll have a metamorphosis just like I did. What I'm saying is true. Peter understood it in the New Testament. So note Daniel Hagen by saying what he's saying. He's saying he operates in the supernatural now. He, he is able to perform miraculous signs and wonders at his command without asking God. He is able to command these miracles to take place. He said, by his stripes, you were healed. He understood that it's already happened. He's not asking for it to happen again. He's not asking God to provide the provision again. Not only did he provide the provision through Jesus, but then when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, he said, and now I give you a comforter. And now I give you the Holy Spirit. Don't fear, little one. I'm going to the right hand of the Father. You'll see me again, but now I'm going to provide my spirit and it's going to be way better for you because at the moment in my current form, in my earthly, fleshly form, I can do a lot, but I can only do so much. But now I'm going to provide my spirit and my spirit is going to enter each and every one of you. And as a result, you'll see even greater things. That was about seven people that time. That was awesome. See, we've gone from five to seven. That's how it happens. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. So He provided the provision. And then He gave us the Holy Spirit. And by faith, you received that Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 talks about that and unpacks what that Spirit looks like. It says... You shall receive power, a miracle working power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you so that you'll be witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the outermost parts of the earth. In other words, you'll go through a metamorphosis. You'll go through a transformation where you were a natural people loving me, but I'll give you something that will cause you to be, to go to a whole new level like a like a butterfly for a lack of better description from a cocoon waiting for something, waiting for the promise. And now I'll give you wings and you'll go into all the world and you'll demonstrate me. My miracles don't stop. The supernatural doesn't stop when I go to the Father. In fact, it increases. And if you'll believe, it'll increase in your life as well. So you just got to think and believe and, you know, then you will operate in the supernatural. That's not what Scripture teaches. The kids believe it more. Did you hear that? Amen. Come on, Jesus. I know you guys believe it. I know you do. I know you do. Jesus, we thank you, God. So did you get that point that I was trying to make? Sometimes I get excited and I just get off track a little bit. But the point is we're not asking God to hit the switch. He's hit it. And now you're the switch. 
catch that? He's already hit the switch. Now you're the switch. If you think enough, if you believe enough, you will be able to operate in the miraculous like Daniel Hagen. You'll believe you turn it on and it flows. And doubt not. If you have a mustard faith like a mustard seed, you'll move a mountain. Every one of these passages taken out of context, strung together like a you know a string of pearls to create the impression that this is a doctrine that Scripture teaches. But the whole time he's been engaging in a Bible-twisting technique known as proof texting. Amen. So yes, it's God doing it, but you need to understand he's already given the provision. You already have everything that you need. Like you said to Paul, my grace is sufficient. In other words, what I've already given you is sufficient to see anything happen right now. And we just got to believe it. That's all we got to do. So the struggle of faith, let's continue on now. Back to our scripture, Matthew 17, 16. By the way, um, the struggle of faith is real. Yeah, the struggle's real. Even John the Baptist, the greatest prophet, last week we, we showed his example of the struggle of faith. If anyone knew who Jesus was, it was John the Baptist, yeah? But we see that account when he was in prison. All of a sudden, he's looking at his circumstances. He's under pressure, and now he doubts the truth of who Jesus is. A little bit of a note here. Scripture is very clear that among those born of woman, there was none greater than John the Baptist, and yet Scripture is very clear. He performed no miracles. This is. That happens. It's just... A part of this supernatural transformation and rewiring up here, this renewing of the mind is learning how to deal with pressure, learning how to deal with different circumstances that come our way, learning how not to turn back when you start looking at the walls, even that God's done a miracle and you're walking through the Red Sea, you're walking through the fire, you're walking through the water or you're in the in the fire with the Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and you're like, is this for real? Is this, am I really a supernatural person? Just stay in it, walk through it, and he'll show himself faithful. Amen. Don't back down. Don't give up. Just keep going. If you keep going, if you don't give up, you win. You should say that one to the person next to you. Just say, if you don't give up, you win. Back to Matthew. Everyone say the struggle of faith. Verse 15, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Sometimes I wonder how Jesus said that. Pastor Jesus. There was a, I think it's one of the, you know, the, the movies where they go through Matthew and go through the book of Acts. And they portray it as like Jesus grabbed a hold of one of the disciples and put his head on his head. And he said, faithless and perverse generation. Hell, I kind of like that, Jesus. I know some people reckon it was just a, hey, you faithless and. But 
however it was, it's the truth, yeah? And it's the truth that sets us free. Jesus wasn't afraid to bring truth, to bring correction. Um, we, you know, political correctness, look, well, look where that's got us in the world. You know, like we need truth, yeah? Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I bear with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came out to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Now this is the challenge of faith, the struggle of faith. And this is really what I wanted to point out more than anything in this verse 20. Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, everyone say unbelief. What's the opposite of faith? Unbelief. Because of your unbelief. Now, I think of it like this too. Jesus said you need a mustard seed of faith to move a mountain. But if you have a mustard seed of doubt, it eliminates faith. You don't have any faith. Yeah, this is why a good modern translation is so helpful here. I I covered this with the uh, Andrew Womack, um, you know, uh, teaching that we recently did on this exact same passage. Um, Literally, okay, so the disciples come to him and say, why could we not cast it out? This is uh, Mark chapter 17, uh, verse 19. And Jesus said to them, because of your little faith, uh uh-huh, oligopistion, yeah, oligos, oligopistion, little faith. That's literally what the text says. And so, you know, it's funny that within the word of faith, heresy, and the NAR, you have the same false teaching that basically, again, you know, it's your little, it's your unbelief that causes you to not be healed. God wants to heal you, but it's your, your, it's your stinking thinking that makes it impossible for God to do what he wants. So part of the struggle is eliminating doubt. A part of the struggle is getting in his word. And when the fiery dart comes of doubt, of unbelief, learning to extinguish that with the fiery dart, like it talks about in Ephesians, taking up the shield of faith. Yeah, extinguishing the fiery darts of the devil does not have to do with getting rid of stinking thinking that is causing you from operating the miraculous. Extinguishing the fiery darts. In other words, extinguishing it, putting it out before it takes root, before you start believing, before you start living out. Because as a man thinks, so he is. So because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed... You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Everyone say, nothing will be impossible for you. Once again, we see Jesus not just wanting to be the man, but Jesus wanting to get what he had and put it in the 12 and put it in the 70 and then go and teach them to do the same thing. Yeah? Now, note again... The ability to operate in signs and wonders is an apostolic thing. God, Christ gave this, this ability to the apostles, not to the general church. This is the whole point of 2 Corinthians 12, 12. 
that you know Paul performed the signs of an apostle. And Hebrews also makes that same point. The ability to operate in signs and wonders is not the general prerogative of everyday Christians. That was the prerogative of the apostles. So misapplication of this text. So we see this discipleship process. And he goes on to say this, and this is what I want you to note today to help us in this supernatural series. By the way, we're going to be focusing on casting out devils, healing the sick, raising the dead. They're they're going to raise the dead there. I wonder how many dead people were raised by their focusing on it. Answer, zero. But the, the amazing thing is that these principles and the supernatural principles apply to every area of your life. Business, family, marriage, children, all of these principles apply to the same. Every aspect of Christianity is supernatural. If you're looking for breakthrough in any area of your life, we're going to focus on one area today, but you can apply those same principles to every area. Amen? Hey, give someone a nudge and say, that's a good word. Glory to God. Verse 21, however, this kind goes, does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Right. Yeah. There are certain kinds that can't be gotten out except for by prayer and fasting. I believe that this particular sickness or demon was not some special super demon. And even if it was, uh, it still comes out with the same amount of faith, just a mustard seed. So what do we need to do? Get rid of the unbelief. How do we get rid of unbelief? Yeah, unbelief and the, uh, you know, the, the, the doubting that I can actually operate in the supernatural, which I'm not commanded to do. A season where you're really struggling with unbelief and, and you're not extinguishing those fiery darts like you once did, then you need to think about what should I do to strengthen myself in that area. There's an area in your life where you're weak, where you're like, man, I'm not thinking the way I should. I can, I know it. Get onto it quick before you, before it starts to become you, by the way. Begin to pray and fast more than you ever, do it as a lifestyle. For me personally, I do intermittent fasting as a lifestyle, but then there'll be sometimes seasons, and we did it early this year where we do 21 days or we'll do extended fasting as well. But I'd encourage you to do it as a lifestyle so that you're not having to come into this situation and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I don't have the answer. Yeah? As a lifestyle, we're praying regularly. We're fasting regularly. We're renewing our mind regularly. We're not content with just a Sunday morning service clap for an hour and cheer someone else on someone else's testimony on but we want to be the ones that are being a part of it yeah we want to see the breakthrough in our life so no the uh, sappy new age music has been playing the entire message so this kind goes out by prayer and fasting And for time's sake, I'm going to leave it there and ask you to stand on your feet.
the struggle of faith. Band, if you're available to come back up. So this is not a condemning um, message by any means. It is a challenging message. And if we're going to see the supernatural manifesting in our life, first of all, we need to believe and just have that as a foundation that it's, you know, His willingness, His God is good. He's willing to heal. He wants to heal all the time. He loves you. Jesus brings life and life more abundantly. But then we need to understand the reality of the fight of faith, the good fight of faith. And, you know, the good thing is that we've been given a spirit of self-discipline or self-control. That was a revelation that I had, to be honest, a couple of years ago. I can't believe I missed, I didn't know it earlier, but I always quoted that scripture. We haven't been given a spirit of fear, but one of love, power, and sound mind. And I always quoted that translation, sound mind, and that's a correct translation. But all of a sudden, one day I I read it and I, I looked at sound mind in the original language. And then I looked at a couple of other translations and I realized... It's probably even more accurately translated as we have not been given a spirit of fear, but one of love, power, and self-control or self-discipline. And when I, all of a sudden, it's just, once again, that little, little rewiring in the brain, I realized, hang on, that's who I am. I am self-disciplined. In the same way I have this power to see the sick healed, as a born-again Christian, I actually, that's that's my nature, that's a part of my divine nature is that I'm self-disciplined. So if I need to come into a season of more prayer and fasting, I don't even need to strive. I just need to believe in who I am, that I'm a disciplined person. It was around that time I also lost 20 kilos through eating correctly and exercising when I got a hold of that revelation. And so I want to encourage you that we have a spirit. Why didn't you just pray away your fat? You say you operate in miracles and signs and wonders. That's not a miracle to diet and exercise and lose 20 kilos that way. Why didn't you just lay hands on your six, on your uh, keg, you know, right there in the middle there and, and, and watch it shrink away? Of self-discipline and self-control. And if we'll apply that to the principles that we need in our life to see a metamorphosis take place, to see our minds renewed, to see our lives changed or to see our lives growing in a particular area that we need to. We are a disciplined people. We are self-controlled because you're born again and you're a partaker of his divine nature. Uh, what? You're a partaker of his divine nature? Notice that Jesus slips that right in there. Apparently we're little deities. Let's give Jesus some praise for that. Now, I know there's people in here, this Jesus that I've been talking about, you know, you've heard of him. And of course we have Christmas, you know, our whole, our whole time, like BC, before Christ. Our holiday structure, you know, holiday, holy day, everything about what we do in our society has been built on Christian principles. So there's, I have no doubt that you've heard about Jesus, but what I'm presenting to you today is that you can know Him as your personal Lord and Savior. He's real. There's no one on the earth that if they kind of did even just a little bit of research that would argue that He's not real. Some argue 
in terms of his identity, but I want to tell you today, he is God. God came in the form of man to die on the cross so that you could be justified. It was you that was deserving of death, the Bible says. That we were dead in our transgressions or dead in our sins. The wages of sin is death, but it goes on to say in Romans, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So you see there's a an emphasis on everlasting life. This world... So at least we're hearing something of the gospel here, but he's not calling people to repent of their sins. No, no, no. You got to embrace thinking that will result in the miraculous. And it's falling apart. This world is breaking. And it's, it's not perfect, but it's not God's fault. It's because of our sin, because of our choices. But one day there will be a new heaven. One day there will be a new earth. And when you cross, when you die, when your spirit exits your body upon death, it's going to go somewhere. But if you're not born again, it can't go to heaven because heaven's perfect. There is an an extreme vetting process in heaven. And you need the visa to get into heaven. And it's extreme and it's vetting. And Jesus said it's an exclusive place. And he said, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. But he provides free visas for those that will receive. Amen. And so he wants you in heaven with him forever. But also he wants to get heaven in you now. He wants you to experience heaven on earth now. Where does it say Jesus wants me to experience heaven on earth now? He wants to heal your body like we talked about. He wants to give you this peace like we talked about. You twisted scripture all along the way. Yeah, the doctrines you've been spewing are not biblical. All you need to do is say yes to him and turn from the old way of living. Turn from darkness and say, God, forgive me. Help me forgive others. Forgive me. I'm coming out of sin. I'm coming out of garbage. I'm coming out of darkness. I'm coming out of pain. I'm coming out of the old world, Lord, let there be a metamorphosis. It's like the matrix. I'm taking the red pill and I'm going to a whole new place. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy in this life, but I tell you, like what we talked about, you may go through valleys, you may, you will go through hard times, but this time he's going to be with you. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to help you get through it. And he's going to teach you to become strong through it. So on that note, I'm going to present the visa of heaven to you. It's a free, it's a free ticket, eternal life in this life and the one to come. If you don't know Jesus, you know, you haven't been, you might know about him, but you don't know him. He's not your personal savior. Then just give us, be brave today. Give us a little wave. I want to know if that's you. Yeah. So throw in some kind of a gospel altar call at the end and that'll just make everything okay. No, it doesn't. Wow. This whole thing was a complete train wreck from the word go. And again, it has to do with the Bible twisting technique known as uh, as proof texting, where he takes verses out of context, half sentences out of context, and then weaves them all together into a new doctrine, which the scripture does not teach. And notice the heavy burden he put on these people. It's up to them. They're thinking they must transform themselves so that they can operate in the supernatural. Pa, Scripture doesn't teach 
any of this. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.